0: You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcasts.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. We are in week number two of our series called The Five, where we are examining what are commonly referred to as the five solas of the Reformation. And really, what these are are five foundational truths of the gospel. Uh, The reason that these became a rallying cry and became a call for the reformers in the 1500s was that these are things that if we are not careful, the enemy will come in and try to undermine so that the things that we are standing on, the face that we are standing in gets eroded and we fall prey to the lies of the enemy that would try to separate us from the, the freedom and the joy and the life that comes only from Christ. And so our foundational kind of statement for this series is this, Christians, are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. And so today we're looking at the second of those solas, which is sola fide, or faith alone. And I want you to understand today, I want you to know that the fact that we are saved by faith alone is really, really good news. It's really good news. In fact, all of the gospel of Jesus is good news. That's what the word gospel actually means is good news. But this particular aspect salvation by faith alone is a really good part of that good news. And so I want to take some time this morning to try and kind of unpack why that is. And then I want to talk about the, the, the effect that that should have on us as followers of Jesus, the effect that that should have on us as people who have placed faith in Christ. Now, most people would like to believe that there's a grand cosmic scale and that on that scale, God places our good deeds and our bad deeds. And that if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then God lets me into heaven. It's kind of the, uh, I'm basically a good person argument. And you hear it a lot. Like, that's that's a very common sentiment that people have when, in our understanding of, well, you know, what, what should gain me entrance into heaven? Well, then people will go, well, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. I try to be kind and I don't cheat on my taxes or, you know, whatever the case may be, whatever our definition of good is. Because that's really what that comes down to is like, whatever your definition of good is, you think you're a good person. I mean, if you, you, you can go to death row, right? And, uh. The guy, the guy will tell you all about the terrible things he's done, but he'll say, I'm basically a good guy though. That guy next door, that's a bad dude, <laughs> right? Uh, and so we, we'd love to believe that there's this grand cosmic scale and that God puts our, uh, you know, in the good outweighs the bad. And so if it does, then we're in good shape. But the reality is when we're pressed, like when we really push that issue, when we really examine it and kind of put it under the microscope, we all understand that doing a good deed doesn't negate a bad deed. Doing a good thing doesn't negate the evil thing that I've done or the wickedness that's in my heart. Let me, let me illustrate that for you just a little bit. Uh, did you know uh, Al Capone, uh, the, the bootlegger gangster from you know uh, the Prohibition era, Al Capone opened one of the very first soup kitchens in the United States. And during the Depression, Al Capone's soup kitchen at one point in in Chicago was feeding as many as 15,000 people per day free meals. Pablo Escobar, uh, who was a notorious Colombian drug lord uh, during the Reagan era, right? Uh, Pablo Escobar built schools, paved roads, facilitated access to clean water, He provided health care for the underprivileged. He supported and donated large sums of money to churches and he invested in affordable housing for people who couldn't afford it. Those are all really good things, right? But do you know what neither Al Capone nor Pablo Escobar could do? They couldn't go into a court of law and offer as a defense, I know I've done some horrible things, but look at all these good things I've done. That should take care of it. Thank you, judge. See you later. I'm going back home. Doesn't work that way. That's not how justice functions. And maybe... Maybe you're thinking, well, Todd, those are kind of extreme examples. Of course, those guys couldn't offer that kind of defense. They were gangsters and murderers, but I am basically a good person. Okay, well, what about this? Let's say today after I am done with uh, my duties here at the church, I get in my car and I'm kind of in a hurry to get where I wanna go. So my foot's a little heavy and I'm speeding on my way home and of course the blue lights come on and I'm pulled over and the, when, the, when the officer comes up to my window and says license and registration please, uh, I can't offer as a viable defense, hey man, don't worry about it, everything's all good. I rarely ever speed. So the fact that I drive the speed limit most of the time that it really should take care of this adios (laughs) right i would end up in a whole lot more trouble right and so we we understand implicitly that that's not how justice functions and we're perfectly fine with that until justice comes to our door i'm perfectly fine with justice functioning that way for everybody else but i don't want it to function that way for me But the reality is that justice demands that sin be accounted for. Justice demands that our actions are paid for. Last week, Pastor Mel talked about this. And he talked, he mentioned the fact that justice equals getting what you deserve. And he talked about mercy and how that mercy is not getting what you deserve. And then grace is getting what you don't deserve. So because God is just, he cannot simply ignore our sin. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, That phrase, glory of God, some translations translate it this way, say all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. So the question then becomes, well, what is God's glorious standard? Well, if we examine who God is, the characteristics of God, God is perfect in every way. He is holy and he is righteous and he is separate from us, right? He is exalted and he is high and he is perfect in every way. So the glorious standard of God is perfection, And if the glorious standard of God is perfection and all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then that means that all of us stand in need of a salvation that we cannot purchase for ourselves because our sin must be atoned for. It must be paid for. That's why Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So justice demands that sin must be atoned for, but God is also merciful and gracious. And in his mercy and grace, he has provided a way for our salvation, right? It goes back to our foundational statement. Christians are saved by grace, and Pastor Mel talked about that last week, that it's the grace of God and the grace of God alone that has provided for us salvation, that has provided for us. It is God in his grace and in his mercy that has made a way for us. And so since it it cannot be my performance that earns salvation for me. Then I, we have to understand that it is God's grace that has provided it, and it is faith alone in what he has provided that saves us. That it, it, The word, word of God says that the, the righteousness of Christ that was imputed to us, that's a fancy word that simply means it was credited to our account. So when you and I place faith in Jesus, His righteousness is accounted to us. Let's look together um, at Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10. I think this illustrates this so well and we'll spend the rest of our time kind of trying to unpack this a little bit. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is, He's talking about even the faith that we have. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works, right? So it's not about the things that we do. Not from works. And here's why. So that no one can boast. There's a humility that comes with the recognition that it's God alone who is receives the credit, that it's God alone who has done this work, that it's God alone who, who is responsible for my eternal salvation, who has made provision for me. It's not any good thing that I've done. It's not any good thing that you've done. It's not. We can't be smart enough or strong enough or rich enough or pretty enough or charming enough or anything enough. We all have fallen short of the glory of God and God has provided a way for us so that we might not boast in ourselves, but we you might recognize that it is Jesus alone who is worthy of all praise and then he says this in verse number 10 for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do and so Paul is holding intention here these ideas that number one The faith that we have that has saved us, the grace of God and the faith that we have, those things are gifts from God that we cannot take any credit for. And it's not our works that have anything to do with it because no boasting can go, you know, no credit can go to us. If we make a boast, it's in God, it's in what he has done. And yet he holds that intention with this idea that God has done a good work in us so that we might do good works that God has prepared ahead of time for us to do. So what I would would say is this, the way that I think we should understand this is this. It is faith alone that saves us, but saving faith is never alone. Let me say that again. It is faith alone that saves us, but saving faith is never alone. And what I mean by that is that Trust and faith in Jesus will always demonstrate itself in a practical outworking in our lives. It will translate into the way that we think, into the way that we speak, into the way that we live. And I, I think, so let's imagine that you or I walk up to a, a bridge in the woods, an old bridge, you know, and, and it. And we we examine it, we take a look at it, like we look at the supports, we look at the, 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 the surface of the bridge, we look at all, everything, and we decide, okay, it looks like it's structurally sound, it looks like it will hold me. It is one thing for me to say, it looks like this bridge will hold me, and it is yet another for me to step out onto the bridge and trust it to hold me. And can I tell you today that I believe that that is the difference between saying, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and what, what, we're, what we're looking at and what Paul is talking about when he talks about the faith that saves us. That it's about the willingness to step out onto the bridge, as it were, and, and say, Jesus, my life belongs to you it 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 demonstrates itself in practical ways in our lives it demonstrates itself. See, we're, we're talking about the differences between justification and sanctification. We, the moment you and I say, Jesus, my life belongs to you, the moment you prayed that prayer, the moment that moment where you recognized you needed a savior and you said, Jesus, I trust you. You were justified before God. You were made right before God in that instant. But also, it's not Jesus called us out of our sin. He justified us and then he calls us into A life of faithfulness. He calls us into a life of following him. And those things are inseparable things. Faith equals faithfulness. We can't separate the two. That's why James, in in James chapter 2, verse 26, says, Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. When we believe something, it impacts our lives. And so I want to take a look really quickly at three ways that I think faith should be demonstrated or true faith will demonstrate itself in the life of a believer. Number one, I believe that uh, true faith demonstrates itself in the life of a believer in our cognition. And what I mean by that is in the way that we think. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7 says, We walk by faith and not by sight. When we place our faith in Jesus, we should see the world differently. Faith should produce in us the ability to see and perceive where God is at work in the world while the rest of the world ignores it or rejects it. Jesus came preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He preached that it was here. It had arrived in him. And faith gives us the eyes to see that. People of faith should be looking for the ways that God is at work in the earth. We should be celebrating the ways that God is at work in the earth and we should be looking to enter into that work as well. Because faith changes the way that we think. There's no greater example of this than when we look at the cross because it's only through eyes of faith that we, that we can see God at work in the suffering of Jesus. It's, it's often, it's really easy for us to recognize the hand of God in hindsight. There, I, there are so many times that I can look back on my life and, and I didn't see God at work in the moment. But when I look back, I can see that God was, was was there all along directing and guiding and protecting and doing those things. And and so, but what that should do as as we see and as we experience the faithfulness of God, it should change the way that we think about the world. It should change the way that we view our circumstances. It should change the way that we see other people. And so then we begin to see through eyes of faith and we sense God's work in ways that transcend our natural ability in ways that uh, go beyond our ability to explain. It's just a knowing and a trust that comes in seeing that God has been faithful over and over and over again. And so when we truly trust in God, it results in a change in our thinking. I think one one of the greatest ways to see this is... like. Before you or I came to know Christ, our deepest desire was to please ourselves. And in an instant, that deepest longing of my soul changed from one of wanting to please Todd to one of wanting to please God. That's not a work that I did. It was the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside that changes the way that you think. It changes the way that you see and perceive things. And faith always demonstrates itself in this way. That's why in Philippians 4, verse 7, Paul could say, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Or his encouragement to us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that said, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. When we fully trust ourselves to Jesus. When we are people of faith, we see with different eyes. Faith changes our cognition. Secondly, faith changes our confession. So faith in this present moment involves seeing as God sees and recognizing that God is at work right now, but it also involves a future hope. Our hope is no longer in the things of this world. Our hope is in the promise of God that he will return and set all things right. And so our confession always in every circumstance and in every season is one of hope. I can't help when I, when I consider our confession to remember our friend Rick for Many of you will remember Rick. And Rick was, was battling cancer, and I remember sitting in the lobby with him on several occasions and hearing him so excitedly talk about the, the great joy and the great opportunity that it was for him to be able to share Christ with the people that he was going through treatment with. And, and he said, Todd, I tell them all the time, this is a win-win situation for me. And he said, if the Lord chooses to heal me, then I get to spend more time with my family and I get to continue to be a part of the family here at Summit Church. And I get to continue to share my faith with people and talk about the goodness of God and rejoice in the fact that he's healed me. But if he doesn't, I get to go and be with Jesus forever and ever. So it's a win win situation for me. He said, I don't lose here, I can't lose. And when we are people who have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus, that should be our confession always that God is good and that God is in control. And it doesn't matter what today looks like because God holds my yesterdays. God holds my todays. God has secured my tomorrows forever. He is good and my confession is one of hope. But far, far too often, our confession sounds conspicuously close to the world around us. And we find ourselves placing our hope and our trust and in in temporary things and in people and in possessions and in and and and, the, and those are things that will all pass away they're all tenuous and and so it's it's sand right and jesus talked about the, the 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 wise man who built his house on a rock and a foolish man who built his house on the sand and that when the storms came and the wind blew that the house that was built on the sand the scripture says great was the fall of it So, we have to be a people whose confession at all times is that God is good. And faith will change our confession. Because if Jesus is alive, there is always hope. If the promises of God are sure and true, there is always hope. And we, un- we know and we see with eyes of faith that out on the horizon, Jesus is coming, that he will set all things right, that just as it was in the beginning, so will it be in the end, that the, the peace and the rule of God will cover all of the earth, that God is in control and he is sovereign and he is good. Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 19 through 24. Paul says, creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. But who hopes for what he sees? So what Paul is saying is that, look, we have a confession that there is hope beyond what we can see. And in fact, if we could see it, it wouldn't be hope. We don't hope for what we can see. We, and so, but he said, we have the down payment. We have a spirit of God in us that, that bears witness to this, that, that helps us, that lets us to know that, that, that gives us that assurance that, that God indeed, like we, we, when we look around us and we see creation groaning, Paul says that's evidence to us. Hope's on the horizon. Christians are people of hope. So is your confession today one of hope or does your confession fall in line with the world around us? Is your hope in a candidate or a political party or a new job or a new house or a new spouse or what? 1 Peter 3, 15, Peter said, In your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. You see, it's not that we as followers of Christ don't experience all of the same trials and heartaches and, and difficulties of life as the people around us. But it is that our response to those things should be markedly different because our confession should always be one of hope because Jesus is alive. And because he's done a work in you and in me that we cannot take any credit for. He's worked a miracle in our hearts that and there's an inexplicable thing that, that we, you and I have been transformed, we've been made new in Jesus. So there is always hope. So faith should impact our cognition it should have a, it should impact our confession and lastly, it should impact our conduct. The biblical language of faith expresses a relationship of faithfulness and cooperation. Faith results in faithfulness. If I entrust my, if I entrust something to someone, right? Uh, if they have you know then then what i'm saying is i i know that you're going to do what you said you will do i trust that you are who you say you are and so in response to that i'm going to like the like Jennifer and i stood at an altar right and we made a covenant we made a promise to each other and that promise essentially said, right, I'm going to entrust my heart to you. I'm going to entrust my life to you. And in response, what covenant means is that in response, I, you will do the same. And that, in, in that faith in that covenant results in faithfulness to that promise. Faith in Jesus is demonstrated By loyalty to his lordship. By surrender and submission to his will and to his way. Walter Brueggemann said this. He said, The language of faith in the Old Testament is everywhere associated with covenant. Within that theological construct, faith has less to do with particular ideas than it does with the integrity of a relationship. You see... Again, going back to the example of the bridge, it's one thing for us to say, I believe the bridge will hold me, and it's another to walk out onto it, to enter into, if I can use the metaphor, to enter into relationship, right, with the bridge in that way that expresses trust and fidelity, And so when we place trust in Christ, he's not simply asking us to give an intellectual assent to I believe that you died on the cross. I believe, but to then go because of my belief in the truth of that thing, I'm going to step out in faith and entrust my life to you. So Lord, when you say go, I will go. When you say stay, I will stay. When you say speak, I will open my mouth. When you say to trust you, I will stand and I will trust you. Because in response to your goodness, I will, the fidelity and faithfulness and trust is the, the outgrowth of that in my life. If I believe that you are who you say you are, it will impact my decision-making, my thinking, the way I see things, and the way that I respond and the way that I act. Like, and and this is really a practical thing. Like, for example, I believe strongly in the effects of gravity. (laughs) Because I have faith in the way that gravity works, I have made it a point to not jump off of buildings. (laughs) Right? It has a practical outgrowth in my life. Because I have faith and understanding of how that functions, it has practical application for the way that I live. Faith in Jesus should demonstrate itself in the same ways. If I believe in the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God, and that good and gracious and merciful God who has lavished his love and kindness on me says to me that my call to you is to love your neighbor as yourself, then the outgrowth of trusting and knowing and faith in who he is should result in me doing my very best to love my neighbor as myself. Faith is an active participation in a relationship based on a promise. Jesus' invitation to his disciples wasn't simply come and believe in me. Although he did ask us in, in command that we believe in him, right? He said, you believe in the, God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. Uh, if it were not true, I would have told you so. And where I am, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you might be also. So he did ask us to believe, but that wasn't, the, 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 that wasn't where it stopped, right? In fact, that wasn't even the first thing he said to his disciples. His invitation wasn't come and believe in me, it was come and follow me. And faith is expressed in that following. And if we, and that's why James uh, would say, like, that faith without works is dead. Because faith results in an expression, faith results in a change of behavior, a change of life. So here's, here's the reason this is so important. And then I want to try to unpack for us what this looks like and why, why I can say, faith alone has these results. Because here's the thing, it's possible to do all of these things, either out of a faith in the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God, which will result in freedom and joy and an ability for us to walk out those good things in, in, like, in, in life-giving ways, but there's also a very real danger of us doing all of those things out of our own effort, which results in a drastically different outcome. You see, let me, well, let me just, I'll, I'll share a story with you. Um, some of you, if you've been through Freedom or if, if you've been to any of our men's events, uh, you may have heard me share this story before, but uh, my parents divorced when I was 10. Uh, and so uh, a, couple of, a couple of years before that, when I was eight, maybe nine, so sometime before that, uh, my parents fought a whole lot, like it was, it was a lot of conflict in, in my house when I was young and uh, I remember one particular Sunday morning when I was eight or nine years old, my mom and dad had been fighting before church, uh, and the, the word divorce must have come up in the argument, because I remember going distinctly that morning, going to church with a a, a sense of, uh, of, of worry and fear that my mom and dad were going to separate. And, uh, and it was an interesting, like, that there was a, something that happened in the service that morning that was unique. It wasn't normal, uh, in fact. So right before the pastor preached, um, he normally like we would sing, similar to how we do here, and then he would go into the message, right? Uh, but this particular Sunday, he invited people forward to pray. Instead of if, if you have a need, we want you to come and we want you to pray. And so as as a young eight or nine year old kid, I get up from my seat and I go down to the front and uh, the church I grew up with had altars in the front. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but it's like these, it's basically like a pew with no back, right? And you can go and you can kneel down and you can pray. And so I went down and I kind of threw myself over the altar and began to pray that God would save my family, right? That my parents would not get divorced. And um, and I was serious about it. In fact, so, so much so that I, I stayed longer than anyone else and I think, it was getting a little uncomfortable for everybody else. They were kind of like, oh, "It's time you got to move on with the service," you know. And uh, my mom played the piano in our church, and I remember she got up from the piano and she walked down and she bent over to where I was praying and she whispered in my ear and she said, "Todd, your dad and I are not going to get divorced." And I remember feeling over the moon. I was, I was so excited. I was so happy. I was, so, I was like, God, you've answered my prayer. Thank you so much, God. I mean, I was, I was so excited. And of course, you know, I've already given away the ending, right? My, my mom and dad, not long after, did in fact separate and divorce. And in that When that happened, in that season, in that moment, I came into agreement with a lie that said, if I had only prayed more, if I had only done more, if I was just a little bit better, it wouldn't have happened. I didn't do enough and I carried that well into ministry. And so here's, here's what happens. Here's what look that looks like when you carry that as a pastor, right? So when things are going well, when the church is prospering, when when your ministry is growing, when you know when when people are giving you the accolades and say, "Oh, that was such a good job, what a great sermon, or what a great worship set, or I felt the spirit of the Lord," and I mean, and it, and, and none is, nothing's wrong with any of those things. I, I appreciate that kind of sentiment and the, appreciate your your kindness and. <coughs> But here's the thing, when when your your whole uh, kind of orientation is if I could just do more, then then God would be pleased with me, well, then what happens is when things are going well, you take the credit. You go, yeah, I'm doing it, I'm killing it. But when, well, and let me just say it, but even in that, because my, my understanding and my orientation was always, I've got to do more, I've got to do more, I've got to do more. Even when, the, the, even when things were going well, even when it felt like that, that everything was moving, and, you know, like up and to the right, you know, that whole thing. And even in those moments, you live with a sense of angst and you live with a sense of fear, like what, what does it mean or what happens when, when this stops? And then when it does stop, when there's that inevitable slump, you get something wrong, you feel like somebody's not happy with you, you're just crushed. You see, when we understand that it's faith in Jesus alone, it's, it's not that the activity changes. In fact, uh, Second Peter chapter one, Peter goes through the He says, God's given us everything we need for life and godliness through his great and precious promises. And he goes through like, and then he says, because of this, right, not in spite of this, but because of this, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness and to goodness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. And like, and so, so the activity doesn't change. I, I still do as much in ministry today as I ever have. But there is a joy that I'm able to to experience and to stand in and to live in that I did not experience or know for such a long time because I was so consumed with thinking, if I don't do more, if I don't do enough, and and there are so many of you, I believe, that are sitting here today who you're not in ministry, but you understand exactly what I'm talking about and you understand exactly the weight that comes with that kind of understanding and that kind of... uh, vision of who God is and so you are trapped today under the weight of that thing because when we believe that it is about our effort and not the grace of God alone that comes with trusting our lives to him when we fail to understand the liberty and the freedom that is in that there's only two results that can happen one is a despicable and ugly kind of pride the kind that, that we see in Christians and in people when we look down our noses at others and we have this haughty sense of who we are and it's like the kind of pride that, that Jesus talked about when he told the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And they, they both go to the, the synagogue to pray and the tax collector throws himself down onto the floor and he's crying out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the the Pharisee stands on the other side of the room and 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 stands up and he prays loudly. The word of God says, I thank you, O Lord, that I am not like this tax collector. And so when we believe that it's about our effort and and things are going well, we're doing a good job at it, it results in this kind of Despicable and ugly pride that creates division between us and the people who need God the most. So that's one result, and the other result is despair. We find ourselves in despair because we recognize that I can't can't do this on my own. It's like... When when that difficult season comes or when, when I'm faced with adversity and I don't do it well when I chase after that thing that's temporary rather than resting and trusting in God or when I say a word in anger or when I whatever the case may be, like you know, and I fall into despair. So when we when we fall into this trap of believing that any effort of my own that I could take any credit that it, then then it only results in one of two things: it is pride or despair. But when I recognize that it is the good work of God in me that produces this fruit that produces these results. The, the outward thing might not look all that different, but the, the inner peace and the joy and the freedom and the liberty that comes along with that frees us then to do those things like and, 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 and see God in all of it and celebrate it and to, like be, to be free, which is God's hope and heart and desire for us. And that's really, really good news today. I had a pastor who used to say often, um, God doesn't want you to stop trying, but he wants you to stop trying out. And if there's, if there's anything... I hope that you take away from this today. It's that God has designed and crafted you to to do good things in this world and in this earth. He's he's designed you to be a container for his glory so that he might display his splendor and his beauty and his love and his grace and his mercy through you. And, And you can go and you can do all of those things without the weight of feeling like that, that it all rests on you. Because it was faith in Jesus alone that that ushered us into the family of God and it is faith in Jesus alone that will keep us here. so I wanna give you an opportunity to respond today. So right now I'm gonna turn it back over to um, your host there in Blairsville. They're gonna give you guys an opportunity to respond as well. I love you guys, God bless you, we'll see you soon. So I wanna ask you if you're in the room right now just to bow your head and close your eyes. And for those of you who are here today and and you're a follower of Jesus, for those who are in Christ today, maybe as we've talked through this, you're, you're recognizing that you're in one of those two places either of pride or despair. Maybe you're still wrestling with the lie that it's your performance that earns God's approval. Maybe you feel like you've done a good job at keeping the rules and you've grown proud. Or maybe you're on the other end of that spectrum and you just find yourself in despair today because you feel like all you've done is fail. Can I tell you today that that God's call to you, that Jesus' called to you today is to trust in him. It's when we learn to rest in the freedom that that truth brings that we can live out our lives of obedience and freedom in Jesus. Faith in Jesus, truly trusting in him and his finished work on the cross results in freedom and in obedience. And God is calling you to trust in him and in what he has done and not your own goodness today. So that's his invitation to us as followers of Jesus. But can I tell you today that if you're here and you're not a Christian, that Jesus invitation to you is exactly the same. It doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how far you've run. Doesn't matter how unworthy you feel. I want you to know today that Jesus died for you, that God in his mercy has made provision for you today, and you can be saved if you will simply place your faith in Jesus. If you'll do that today, he will forgive you of your sins, he will wash you clean, he will welcome you into his family. You are accepted today and he is inviting you to trust him with your life, to step out onto that bridge as it were. And if you do that today, if you trust him with all that you are, it will begin to change the way that you see the world. It will change your cognition. It will change your thinking. It will change your confession because you will have hope in Jesus and it will change your conduct. It will transform the way that you live. And you can do all of that, not because... You have to do that to earn God's favor, but because God in his kindness has already offered it to you today. It's a gift. And all you have to do is receive it by trusting in him. So I wanna give you the opportunity to do that today. And so if you'd say, Todd, that's me. I wanna give my life to Jesus today. I wanna trust him with my life. If that's you, I wanna ask you to raise your hand right there where you are. I'm not gonna call you to the front or embarrass you in any way. I just wanted the opportunity to pray with you. So if you say that, Todd, today is my day. I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna trust him with my life. If you just slip your hand up and let me see where you are. Thank you over here on my right. Thank you. Thank you, sir, here on my right. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, I see you. Thank you. So here's what I would like for us to do. I'd like everyone in the room to pray this prayer along with those who raise their hands. And there's nothing special about this prayer. Uh, What saves you is trust and faith in Jesus. I just wanna simply give you some words to help maybe to express that in this moment. So I want everyone in this room to pray it along with those who raise their hands. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. I thank you that today because of what you've done there's salvation for me. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Be my Lord and Savior. From this day forward I commit my life to following you. Thank you for your incredible gift. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, yeah. Hey, listen, if you prayed that prayer today, whether you raised your hand or not, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, the word of God says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved so if you've placed trust in jesus today welcome to the family you are a child of god and we want to help you take the next step in that journey so uh, if you would do me the favor of filling out the card that's in the seat back in front of you taking it out to the next steps table in the lobby or you can text summit pa to ninety four thousand and choose the option for salvation we want to partner with you help you to take those next steps in following jesus because trust in jesus has practical application in our lives. And we want to help you to know what that looks like and to walk that out. So here's what we're going to do. I want to ask everybody to stand. We're going to sing uh, one more song together. Hey, listen, this this may be a new song to you. That's fine. Take this opportunity to reflect and to think about the goodness of God. The scriptures say, uh, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So I want us to consider the great gift that we've been given in God. And and to rest in the truth that all of it is in His hands. Thank Him for the freedom that He's given us today. I love you. God bless you. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.